the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. WTBN Pinellas Park. WTWD Plant City. WLCC Brandon. Faith Talk Tampa. Download the Faith Talk. Versions of this hour have been pre-recorded for broadcast at this time. Odyssey. The following program was pre-recorded for broadcast at this time. Up next is Verse by Verse. Sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. Now, Stephen in Acts 6 is the first martyr amongst the believers, but James is the first apostle who was killed, and it probably has to do with the fact that he was so aggressive and so spirited. He was the type of man who made enemies easily. So he was the target of all the apostles. Herod probably figured we kill this guy and we're going to crush all of them. Hello and welcome to Verse by Verse with Pastor Teacher Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Pastor Steve has been ministering for more than 26 years at Lakeside, and now we at Verse by Verse Ministries are able to make his clear, practical Bible lessons available through this wonderful radio station. The apostles started out as disciples. Jesus chose these particular men from among his many disciples to be his ambassadors, and he was training them for a crucial role. The redemption of the human race depended on their execution of his plan. Yes, he would pay the price, but as Paul wrote to the Romans, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? Jesus' plan called for preachers, and these are the ones he chose to start spreading the good news. At first, these men seemed completely unsuited for the task that they were about to take on. But, diverse as they were, inadequate as they were, they all had one important quality, which will become more and more evident as we proceed through today's lesson and the next one. Pastor Steve is in the middle of a three-part message that will wrap up our study of the King's Ambassadors. In our last class, Pastor Steve began to introduce the most outspoken of them, Peter. You may want to take notes. As we get better acquainted with Peter and the others, we will learn a lot that applies to our trials and temptations. Chances are you'll see a lot of yourself in at least one of the disciples. And now here is Pastor Steve. You see, when when Jesus met Peter, he met Simon, this man was extremely vacillating. He was unstable. Simon was very vocal, always free to give you his opinion whether you ask for it or not. He was very brash, impulsive, outspoken about where he he stood on issues. Peter always seemed to say the wrong things at the wrong time. Always. You remember when he was on the Mount of Transfiguration and Jesus is talking to Moses and talking to Elijah and Peter speaks up and says, hey, let's build some booths here for us. Nobody asked Peter to say that. And that's where the voice appeared from heaven. God's voice said, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. Peter, be quiet. But Peter was always, who asked Peter to speak? Jesus is speaking, be quiet. But that was Peter. 
He, he, he was a man who swayed from one position to another. Remember the story in, in Matthew chapter 14 where Peter walks on the water. The disciples are out. in the, It's really the middle of the night in the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus is praying and he said, I'll, I'll meet you on the other side. But the, a storm comes up. And, the, and this is found in Matthew 14. And a storm comes up and they can't get to shore. And so the Bible says that Jesus did this incredible miracle. He walked on the Sea of Galilee. Not as one liberal commentator said, it was, the, it was the seashore. No, it was the Sea of Galilee. There's no miracle walking on the seashore. I've walked on the seashore of Galilee. There's no miracle there. He walked on the water. And, and Peter said, if it's really you, Lord, then command me to come and I'll walk to you. And, and the Lord commanded him and gave him that supernatural ability to walk on the water. But right after that, the Bible said Peter's walking to the Lord, but, he's, but he, the waves are coming and he begins to lose faith and he starts sinking. And he says, Jesus, save me. And the Lord mercifully does. What does that tell us? One moment this man is trusting, the next moment he's not trusting because Jesus rebuked him and called him a man of little faith. It was the issue of faith. He had great confidence one moment that he could walk to Jesus, but, but he's such a vacillating individual, such an impulsive man, such a strong opinionated man that one moment he has the opinion he can trust the Lord, the next moment he's not so sure, and he begins to sink. This was characteristic of Peter. In, in Matthew 16, and let's turn there because we, we saw this recently, but I'll take it a little further. Matthew 16 Jesus takes his disciples to the northern part of Israel, Caesarea Philippi, and he asks them, whom, whom do men say that I am? And some say this, some say that. But Peter gives this great confession in verse 16. Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father who is in heaven. Peter, I'm commending you. You have been the recipient of God the Father's revelation. You don't know this on your own. You know it because God revealed it to you. You were open to that. But right after that, Peter does a complete about face, and he is the recipient of now Satan's thoughts because he rebukes the Lord for speaking about his death. Notice verses 21 and following. From this time, Jesus began. This is the same time period. This is it. From this time, Jesus began to show the disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders, the chief priests, the scribes, be killed and be raised up on the third day. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, God forbid it, Lord, this shall never happen to you. Now, we, we saw this the other week, just last week, how, how Peter had unbelievable nerve to do this. But notice what Jesus said to him. He turned and said to Peter, this is the one he just said that flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you. you. You've had God the Father who told you this. Now, he says, get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me for you're not setting your mind on God's interest, but man's. In other words, Peter, now, now you are recipients of, of Satan's thoughts and his words because you're trying to keep me from the cross. This is Peter. One moment he's, he's speaking about what God the Father said. The next moment he's speaking forth what Satan has revealed to him. So he does a complete about face. He's also the man who just before Christ was arrested, announces to everybody and to the Lord that he will never deny him. These other men may because they're weaker stuff than I am, but not me. And then he turns right around and not only denies the Lord, he denies him three times and he's cursing and he's, he's bitterly cursing. And that's Peter. He's just wavering, unstable, vacillating, indecisive, up and down, 
This is the man who eventually was transformed by Jesus into a rock. Stable, solid, faithful, a great apostle. We move on. Peter had a brother named Andrew who, like Simon, was a fisherman from the Sea of Galilee, but in personality, he was not at all like his more prominent brother. Andrew, as far as what the scripture tells us, you, does not appear to be outspoken, not dominant. He's not brash. There is no evidence in the New Testament of Andrew being vacillating, of being unstable. He seems to have operated in the shadow of his more well-known brother, but it appears to be fine with him. There's no indication in Scripture that, that there's any kind of a sibling rivalry because Andrew really wasn't concerned about making himself or his opinions known. He's only concerned about making Jesus known to others. Most of the time when we see Andrew in Scripture, he's bringing somebody to Jesus. That was the passion of his heart. We already know from John chapter 1 that the first thing he did after meeting the Lord is he, he went and he got his brother Simon and brought him to Jesus. But also, let me show you this, and we'll be referring back to this in a little bit. But John chapter 12, John chapter 12, it says in verse 20, now, there were some Greeks among those who were going up to worship at the feast. The feast he's referring to is a Passover feast. It was normally reserved for Jewish people. But these Greeks must have been either um, those who had been converted to Judaism, or maybe they were just God-fearing Gentiles. But for whatever reason, they're, they're up there too to worship the God of Israel, going up to Jerusalem. And these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida of Galilee, and they began to ask him, saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. And notice this. Philip came and told Andrew. And Andrew and Philip came and told Jesus. It's as if Philip was saying, You know what? I'm not sure what to do. But Andrew will, because he's always bringing people to Jesus. This is new for me, but not for Andrew. He'll, he'll know what to do. So Andrew is a great man. There are wonderful qualities in Andrew. Andrew is one who brings people to Jesus. The next two apostles on the list are also brothers. You have Simon, Peter, and then you have Andrew. They were brothers. Then there's James and John, and they're quite different. They're quite different from the high-strung Peter and the low-key Andrew. Mark chapter 3, verse 17 says that Jesus gave these, these brothers a nickname. He called them the sons of thunder. Now, you don't get a nickname like that because you're, you're mild-mannered men. He called them that because they had feisty, fiery temperaments. They were spirited individuals, both of them. I told you last week, it was James and John who, when they were with Jesus on their way to Jerusalem, it says that a Samaritan village, a Samaritan village rejected them, said that they saw that Jesus looked as if he was going to Jerusalem. And I think what that means is they saw he was Jewish and they didn't want him in their village. And it's interesting that I looked at this more closely this week, and James and John, they don't ask the Lord to, to uh, send fire down on the Samaritan village. They, uh, they go beyond that. They're so spirited, they say, Lord, why don't you command us and we'll call fire down? I don't know what they were thinking, that they had the power to call fire down on anybody, but uh, that's what they asked. You can look that up. That's Luke chapter 9, verses 51 through 54. That's how spirited they were. Lord, we'll do it. You don't even have to do it. Just tell us. Just give us the word. And this place is burned up like that. That's a fiery temperament. These also were the two brothers who, as I told you, stirred up trouble 
with the rest of the apostles by getting their mother to ask Jesus to give them places of prominence in the kingdom, fiery, spirited, aggressive. They beat everybody to the, to the gun. As I told you last week, all the others wish that they had mothers who would do this. But these are the guys who went first. And it's interesting to note that James was the very first apostle to be killed for the faith. Now, Stephen in Acts, in Acts 6 is the first martyr amongst the believers, but James is the first apostle who was killed, and it probably has to do with the fact that he was so aggressive and so spirited. He was the type of man who made enemies easily. So he was the target of all the apostles. Herod probably figured we kill this guy and we're going to crush all of them. That's the way he was. And as for John, it's very interesting that John, the only time his name appears in the, in the Gospels alone, he's angry. He's upset. Let me show you this. Mark chapter 9. Now, I'm not saying this is the only time he appears in the Gospels, but the only time he's, he appears alone and says something by himself, he's, he's disturbed. That fiery temperament comes out. Mark chapter 9, verse 38. It says this. John said to him, teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name and we tried to prevent him because he was not following you. There, there's, a, there's an anger here. Lord, we came across this man. He's not one of us, but he's casting out demons and we try to prevent him and I don't like it. And that's, that's really, that's John. Angry, upset, annoyed. So those are the sons of thunder. The next apostle on Matthew's list is Philip. I have come to, to love Philip dearly. He's, he's probably my favorite of all of these men, the apostles. But I have to tell you, he's a negative guy. This is a negative guy. He's like Eeyore in the Winnie the Pooh series. He's the Eeyore of the apostles. He's just the pessimist of the group. The one who's very quick to say that something can't be done. You know Eeyore. If it's sunny out, he says, no, I see a few clouds going to rain. It, it just, no matter what you say, he'll pour cold water on it. It just can't be done. One Bible teacher called him, and I quote, the bean counter among the apostles, the one who's always concerned about organization and protocol. Now, let me show you. It would appear, though there's no explicit statement in scripture about this, but I think this is accurate. It would appear that Philip was put in charge of the supplies and the ar arrangement of meals for the apostles. Somebody had to do that. It didn't just happen. Just as we know that, that Judas was put in charge of the treasury, the money, because the Bible tells us he was a crook and he took money from that for himself. So they, they probably gave out, the Lord probably gave out assignments to the men to be in charge of things. It appears that Philip was put in charge of arranging meals and the supplies, and which would make sense because uh, Jesus in John chapter six asked him, as we saw last week, how are we going to feed all of these people? He would naturally turn to Philip if Philip was in charge of the arrangements. But the Bible says that Jesus was testing Philip. He knew what he was going to do. He knew he was going to perform a miracle. He wanted to see Philip put it together. He was trying to stretch the faith of this pessimist. Remember how Philip responded? He told the Lord that, I don't think we can do it. We don't have enough food. We can't do it. Now, not only did this reveal a lack of faith on Philip's part, but it also indicated how easy it was for this man to fall into his materialistic thinking. And I don't mean materialism in the sense that he wanted to get rich, but materialism in the sense of it wasn't there materially. 
in front of him, he couldn't see beyond that. He, he couldn't see beyond the physical. All Philip thought about would be the cold facts. This is a man who has no vision. This is a man who has no creative juices. He was bound by the it can't be done approach to life. If he couldn't figure it out mathematically, then he thought it was impossible. And, and he said it. Whereas Peter was brash and impulsive, Philip was cautious and calculating. And I want to go back to John chapter 12 to show you something. John chapter 12, because I think we're given by John some insight into the character of Philip. I, I told you, I, I love this man, but there are some really interesting quirks in his negative personality. And we see it in John chapter 12. Notice this, we read again. Now, there were some Greeks who, uh, among those who were going up to worship at the feast. Then they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida of Galilee, and began to ask him, saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Now, let's stop there for a moment. These Greeks specifically sought out Philip. Why? We're not told. It could be because Philip had a Greek name. They were told that uh, that man's name over there is, is Philip, and that's a Greek name. And so maybe they thought that, hey, we have some in with him. It's also possible that someone told him, hey, that man over there is from Bethsaida. And Bethsaida, it was in the uh, Greek side, the Gentile territory of, uh, uh, of the Sea of Galilee, just, just a little bit over where the Jordan River in the north crosses into the Sea of Galilee or empties into it. Everything that would be to the east of that would be Gentile territory, not Jewish territory. Philip is from that area. So that's very possible. But it seems to me that the most reasonable explanation as to why they would come to Philip was because they knew that he was the administrator of the apostles. He probably was doing things that indicated that. He was the one responsible for making all the arrangements. And these Greek Gentiles approach him because they want him to arrange a meeting with Jesus. But notice what Philip, pessimistic, negative Philip does. Philip, verse 22 said, says, came and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip came and told Jesus. Now, have you ever thought about that? Why, why would he do that? Listen, this is not a hard request. You don't have to be a rocket scientist to figure out what they, what they mean. Sir, we'd like you to arrange a meeting with Jesus. Why would he go to Andrew? It's not very difficult Men, this is Jesus. Jesus, these are these Greek men who want to see. It's not very, I'll tell you why I think what, what he did. He brought them to Andrew. Why? Because, because, as I said, it wasn't a difficult request, but it was a request that was outside of the box, outside of his thinking. This request didn't compute with his apostolic manual and procedures book. Remember, Jesus said, only go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, not Gentiles, not Samaritans. And now there are Gentiles in front of Philip, and he can't figure it out what to do. I know the book says, just go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Yeah, but when Jesus said that, that was just a, a, a principle saying, don't go out of your way at this point to minister to Gentiles. But he certainly didn't mean that if some Gentiles approach you about, about meeting me, you say no. But see, Philip couldn't think beyond that. He couldn't think outside of the box because it didn't compute. He, was, he had a personality that was rigid, rules-oriented, and it never occurred to him that in the spirit of what Jesus has been doing, that of course you bring these Gentiles to him. But he doesn't know that, so he, he, he doesn't know how to think like that. So he brings them to Andrew. Andrew knows what to do. 
Bring him to Jesus, of course. But that was difficult for Philip. The next two apostles mentioned by Matthew were also very different from each other. Their names are Bartholomew and Thomas. They're really a study in contrast. They're very different. Bartholomew is the, the same man that the Gospel of John calls Nathaniel. Exactly the same, the same man. Nathaniel of John chapter 1, who his friends said, we have found the Messiah. We found the one that Moses and the prophets speak of. His name actually in Hebrew is, uh, the name Bartholomew in Hebrew means the son of Ptolemy or Ptolemy. So his full name was really Nathaniel bar Ptolemy. Nathaniel is presented in the New Testament as a man who's decisive. He's quick to believe. He doesn't need much of a push. He's a good guy. Look at uh, John chapter 1 again. John chapter 1. I'll pick it up where I left off earlier in, in reading this. But in John chapter 1, verse 45, Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Now listen to Nathanael's response. Nathanael said to him, Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Uh, that's a cutting remark. Nazareth, it's true, was sort of um, out of the way, hick place. But you know what? If you study the Gospel of John later on in the Gospel of John, we're told that Nathaniel, you know where he was from? Cana of Galilee. If you've ever been to Israel, a tour guide will tell you, we're really not even sure where Cana of Galilee is. It is an insignificant little city. This man, this man had no right to put Nazareth down. It wasn't like he came from Jerusalem. He came from a, a, a backwards place himself, but there's a, a prejudice there. There's a little bit of a rivalry there. And so he says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? So he's defensive at first. Philip said to him, come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him, and he said of him, behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, how do you know me? Jesus answered and said to him before, Philip called you. When you were under the fig tree, I saw you. What Jesus is telling him is, I can see everything. I'm, I'm all-knowing. I saw you. I didn't even need to be in your presence. He's telling him, I'm, I'm God. I have these divine attributes. Nathaniel answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Folks, this is a very brief conversation. But this man becomes convinced, decisive, quick to believe. He would have known very well the Scriptures. That's why Philip approached him and said, this is the one that you've been studying about. This is the one Moses and the prophets wrote about. You know the scriptures. We found him. And Nathaniel becomes convinced. By the way, by calling Nathaniel an Israelite indeed in whom there is no guile, the Lord was affirming that Nathaniel was a true Jewish man in the sense that he was a true son of Abraham, the believer. That's what he's saying the father of all who believe. You're just like your father Abraham, a true Jew. You are a true Israelite. And when he said, one who has no guile, no deceit, he, he, he was saying, unlike the religious leaders of Israel, you are not hypocritical. You are not deceitful like them. You're a man with a believing heart. Nathaniel, that's the way he was. So who is your favorite disciple? Pastor Steve said Philip is his favorite. I prefer Nathaniel myself. What a wonderful compliment Jesus paid to him when he called him an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. 
He was also unusually trusting, unlike the man we will meet when we return with our next lesson. You have been listening to Verse by Verse, a Bible class of the air led by Pastor Teacher Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Verse by Verse Ministries is making Pastor Steve's verse by verse messages in radio sized portions so that they are available to you and to other listeners of this fine station. We are a faith ministry enabled by the prayers and gifts of listeners who are first faithful to their own church. Our website is versebyverseradio.org. If you would like to listen again to today's class, stop on by and either download the file for later or listen online. That web address once more, versebyverseradio.org. Today's lesson was part of a three-part message. If you would like to order a cassette or a CD with the whole message, call us at 727-441-1714. Leave your name and a number, and we will return your call during weekday office hours. That number again, 727-441-1714. As Pastor Steve has been introducing the disciples to us, we have seen that as a group and as individuals, they had two important attributes. They were ordinary and they were diverse. One more attribute marked these men. In our next verse... Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.